Great, great thought, great thought. Well, let's uh, give ourselves back to this uh, study in, in Romans. So open your Bibles, if you would please, to Romans chapter 12. And as we come back to our new study here in Romans 12, just reminding you that this section is all about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And I don't want to uh, pretend that you're not out there thinking, I don't know a lot about this. I understand that. I, I think that... Uh, there's a lot of, uh, sometimes I think we can, we can be so mechanical. We can be so uh, prone to just want to know all the ins and outs and want things to be safe and want things to be so there, so tangible, that you don't even want to move unless you uh, have a sense that I've got this thing down and I know this. And so I think maybe this topic has paralyzed a, a, a bit of people. Because they don't know what to do with it. And they think to themselves, I don't know what it is, my spiritual gift. And if I have it, uh, and not knowing what it is, I, I might as well not try to figure it out. Because I, I have a hard time figuring it out. And so I guess I'll just live my life. But you know, let me challenge you who think that way a bit. The Lord would not have said it as he has said it here if it were not important, right? We should know about it. We should know what our spiritual gifts are, why they're important, and we should get on with using them. That's really, if you want, kind of a summary of what our section is all about. And we need this. The Holy Spirit knew that we did, and so he included it in our Bible more than once. In fact, you could look at 1 Corinthians 12, you could look at Ephesians 4, you could look at 1 Peter 4, and they're all going to tell you about spiritual gifts. So look, this is not like this is a side deal here that's kind of out there and, and a bit uh, ambiguous and a bit random. It really is repetitive. He wants us to know. So many in the church wonder, well, what can I do? How can I be used? What's my function? And I think that's a good question. And I think it's important. You should ask yourself that. And I think in a church like this, it can maybe be a bit difficult because it's not like we have, you know, a dozen programs in another. It's just sitting out there waiting for you to kind of go, oh, here, this is finding your fit. All right, maybe try this program. And if this one doesn't, you know, scratch the itch, then try this program over here. Or maybe this one over here. Part of that is just practical. I mean, we're not, you know, overly huge. But part of that is also really our conviction that we want ministry to be done here as a result of the moving of the Holy Spirit working on people's hearts. Why? One of the reasons is so that it doesn't wind up being another hoop that you think you need to jump through. But I think a second and more important reason is we just want it to be a genuine, true movement of God in the heart of a person doing true service, true ministry. You know? You know how that is? And I think sometimes maybe we can fall into that trap of just saying, well, I'm going to do nothing unless somebody tells me, here, do this. These... This study is going to help that type of thinking. This passage is the answer to all those questions. What can I do? How can I be used? What's my function? Now part of the problem with understanding spiritual gifts is that we don't get salvation. And I think we need to think about that. I think we think of salvation like Americans. We, we think in terms, we think of it in terms of independence. We, we think of it like Lewis and Clark, you know. Now that I'm set free, I'm on my expedition. See? And you know, you, you hear words like this, and I hear this all the time. You hear people talk about a spiritual journey. And you know, the thing that I really struggle with that idea is it's a bit aimless. It's a bit out there. It's a bit kind of independent. It's a bit uh, whatever you want it to be because it's yours. See? 
And you hear words like personal relationship and you think this thought, my own spirituality. See, But listen, beloved, that kind of thinking doesn't work with spiritual gifts. It doesn't work with Romans 12 and it doesn't work with how God has saved you. If you have come to Christ, like it or not, and you should like it because it's the Lord's will, He's put you with people. Strange people. It's just the way it is, right? And you know, by the way, you're one of them strange ones. Me too. See, I don't want you to be thinking to yourself, yeah, they are strange. There's no they, right? Yeah, we all are. We've got our quirks. We've got our strengths and weaknesses. And in particular, we have our giftedness. There's an enemy to doing church like the Lord designed it to be done. When I say doing church, I mean functioning in the church. The enemy to a God-ordained functioning church is self-absorption. And this goes against the idea of spiritual gifts. Listen to Augustine, who wrote this in the 4th century. Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former is a word that glorifies itself. The latter glorifies the Lord. Yeah, he got it right. He got it right. And so now we've entered into this new city, haven't we? It's a whole new community. It's a whole new way of thinking. It's a whole new way of living. And instead of it being a get mine, and I need to get what, you know, I need to protect myself. I need to get, I need to make sure that what's coming to me comes to me. You know, the world lives by such a thought. Every man for himself. Survival of the fittest. You got to take care of you. If you don't, who will? Right? Kind of a thing. Not so in the church. In the church, it's all about the getting rid of you, right? It's all about stopping that pursuit and it's all about just being used up and being used for the Lord in such a way where you are used the way the Lord designed you to be used. See? You can say it this way. We are saved to do. And there needs to be a balance in learning and doing, but we, but we have to see the connection. You have to see the connection of verses 1 and 2 there of chapter 12 and verses 3 through 8. And I think if you don't see that connection, then you don't get this. You're going to be overbalanced in one or the other. You're going to be a doer without walking in the Spirit, or you're going to be one who thinks you're walking in the Spirit, but not a doer, and therefore you need to go back and question whether you're walking what? In the Spirit, right? Jesus said it this way to his disciples in John 13, 17, regarding this balance of, of learning and doing. He said, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. John 13, 17. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. It's not enough to know you need to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Not enough to know that you need to offer your mind to his renewing and your will to his will. You have to use your giftedness to serve his church. And listen, Jesus says, when you aim at doing that, you'll be blessed. See? You'll be blessed if you do that. Not only that, we'll be blessed. See, And I think we miss out on a lot of blessings, don't we? Because we hoard our gifts. And we're kind of just into ourselves. Paul said it another way in Ephesians 4.16. Maybe you're familiar with this passage here. Verse 12, he says, you know, that God has given certain people to equip the saints, and so therefore we need equipping. We need to be prepared. We need to uh, be uh, gotten ready. <laughs> verse 13 says that. It, it says that we get learning and knowledge about Christ to mature us. And then verse 16, whom the whole body... That's the church. Same analogy as, as in Romans 12. The whole body being fitted and held together, watch this, by what every joint supplies. Now what's the supply? Spiritual gifts. The spiritual giftedness that the Lord gave you at salvation. That's what every joint is to supply. 
This is not a deal where you go out and do your best and try to figure things out. No, the Lord has actually programmed you, or you, I should say reprogrammed you a certain way at salvation to be useful, that when you are useful that way, it does radical, amazing things in the context of the church. In fact, he tells us what those things are like there in Ephesians 4.16. He says uh, this then, according to the proper working of each individual part. Each part has to work. And, and it has to be what is, which is proper. What's, what's proper? Your spiritual gifts. Using your giftedness. Do the right work. What will happen when you, when you and I use our spiritual giftedness the right way? Listen to this blessing. It will cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Listen, beloved. <clears throat> Have you thought about it this way? Our love in the church depends on us using our gifts. Thought about that? So, wow, well, this is not a real loving church. Could it be that it's not a loving church because you're not using your gifts? And could it be that you're not using your gifts because you haven't offered yourself up to God as a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice, your body that way, and your mind to be renewed, right? You don't see love in the body. It's because it's a group of believers not using their spiritual gifts. And so the enemy to that kind of church is to get it so focused on the self, so focused on independence and uniqueness and separation and isolation. It's like a black hole, right? All of our self-focus sucks the life out of others instead of giving life and encouragement. And you know what's so fascinating about that Ephesians 4.16 passage? You realize Ephesians 4.16 or really 13 to 16 basically is... 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 in a small little few verses. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 says, chapter 12, you have gifts. Everybody's got them. 13, use them to love one another. 14, here's how you're abusing your gifts. Focus on, this, on your gifts this way. Basically Ephesians 4. And it's always, it's always the same thing. In other words... You can't have 1 Corinthians 13 where he says love is patient and love is kind and do all these acts of love without having chapter 12 knowing you've got spiritual gifts to be used, see. Just they're connected. And so rather than having this self-focus on our life to suck the life out of others and, and not encourage them and not give life to others, we focus on our spiritual gifts. Remember Hebrews 10? It says, draw near to God. How are we to draw near to God? If you look at it starting in verse 20, I think it's verse 22. It says, verse 23, how are we to draw near to God? Well, it says, to, you know, through your confession. What's that mean? Your salvation. Then what? What will happen? He says in verse 24, stimulate each other to love and good deeds. How? Watch this here. Not forsaking coming together, that is, being with each other. In other words, you come together to use those spiritual gifts, don't you? Now watch this. What does that do? Listen to what, what, what that fosters. Encouraging one another, he says. In other words, you do this because the doing of that will be life-infusing. It will be an encouragement to one another. You encourage each other by using those gifts and none of it is self-focused. So the love of, of this church really depends on us using our spiritual gifts. These, these, aren't, these aren't gifts we've earned. We haven't earned these gifts. These aren't gifts you can purchase. These aren't gifts that you can gain. You know, it's like, I've got one gift and, you know, I think, I think the Lord's given me another one because I've been so faithful, you know. And then you just keep accruing or whatever. It's not like that at all. They're not talents. They are spirit-produced abilities that God gave each believer. And, you know, Christians are, you know, we're all like snowflakes, aren't we? You know? No two Christians with their giftedness are alike. And God did that to get the church looking like his son, Jesus Christ. That's the whole idea of spiritual gifts, by the way. And you could get that 
idea from 1 Corinthians 12. And when this, the idea of, the, of spiritual gifts is to give a picture of Christ. By the way, Jesus has all of them, doesn't he? All the spiritual gifts. And so when we are functioning, where those spiritual gifts are just going and working, we look more like Christ. We look more like Christ. By the way, let me give you another little side note. This affects our evangelism, doesn't it? You know how? Because I hear stuff like that, I think to myself, man, if, there, if God gives people that salvation, then that tells me there are more gifts out there. I want them here. I would love to have them here in this church. I'd love to see what that would look like to be unleashed and just, just let it go, right? Wow, what would that look like? You know, the fact that no two are the, the same, man, I mean, what would it look like for this person to know, come to know Christ and have the Lord gift them a certain way and then have those gifts be affecting the church? Boy, that'd be wonderful. Now, how can we be a church like that? Well, first you have to start out with verses 1 through 2. What do you do first? You offer yourself to God, don't you? You start that way. And it all begins when you present your soul, a redeemed soul, and then you present your body as a living sacrifice, and then you present your mind to be renewed on His Word. And you present your will, and all the while you're saying basically what Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. In other words, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. You might not go ten feet, you know. You don't have to go all the way to Africa. You know, sometimes we look at the passage and we think that's the great missionary passage. You know, use me, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Really, verses 1 through 2 are basically spelling out what Jesus said. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. That's, that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Be renewed in your mind. Follow me. You're going to prove that acceptable and perfect will of God and good will of God. You're going to show that the will of God is that, is just so good. You know, that's what people are basically saying. They don't realize they're saying that when they go, you ever have this, you know, unbeliever could try to tell you, oh, your family is so good and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, oh boy. Depravity everywhere, you, you, know, you, you know that, you see it and you're trying to really help. But you know what, what they're really saying? They're seeing the marks of Christ and they don't know how to describe it or tell you what it is, but that's what they're seeing. And you know, you, you, Romans 12 too. It's the good and acceptable will of God. In other words, they're seeing the will of God with your family. When a family conforms to the will of God, all that's left is to be just to say, wow, let, look at that. That's good. That is just good, right? Now that's the place of usefulness. You start right there, but there's more. Being used in this church for God is based on three things. We talked about that. And last week we started with this first one, the right condition. Let's look at it there in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now the right attitude, and that's what we're talking about, that's the condition, is you have to have, you start with the right attitude. If you are going to uh, be used in this church for, for God, you must start with the right attitude. And that right attitude, the right condition to be used is humility. Don't see yourself too high, and this is basically what verse 3 is saying, and don't see yourself too low. Not too high, not too low. Not false humility, but not and not exaggeration either, right? And you know, that, should, that takes a lot of prayer, doesn't it? Where you're just, Lord, help me to see. Help me to not make a, too big of a deal, but also help me not to, you know. And that's why we talked about last week, a simple thank you. Would, you know, when somebody says, oh, you know, you do this, and I just really appreciate this, and just, you know. understand that God made you a certain way. And that's really what he's getting at in verse 3 here. He says, think so as to have sound judgment, sound thinking. Think about you the right way. 
Now see that phrase, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith? What that phrase basically means is that he designed you a certain way, listen, to function in the church for his glory. In other words, he measured it out. And it wasn't based off of going, let's see here. That's a good guy. I think I'll give him a big measure. That person, they've got issues. I think I'll just, you know, go little you know, measure. He, he didn't take anything of like that into account. He just said, this is your gift. It's what it is. See? And he measured it out. Let me see if I can illustrate this a couple of, with a couple of uh, different illustrations here. One way of looking at it is it's, it's, it's like we're all cups. All cups. And using our spiritual giftedness is a whole lot like pouring it out, pouring out the contents of what's in there. But the thing is, is that we're all measured at different sizes. And the size doesn't grow. But what's critical is what's in the cup, right? Not the cup itself. It's, to, it's, it's for that cup to be used all the way to its brim. Whatever cup, whatever size of cup you are is the way the Lord's made you. But use it all the way top, all the way to the top. Sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, I wish I could teach like you, or I wish I could disciple like you, or I wish I could do this or that other thing like you. And, and I think to myself, why? You're not me, and I'm not you. When you use your gift, you know, when it's all filled all the way up to the top, you're doing stuff that I can't do because I haven't been designed that way. I'm not that way. See? And so we're all made different that way. The measure of faith then is the size of cup that God has made you. And God makes some 10 gallons, and others 5, and still others more like a pint, you know? That's all right. It's what we are. It's how he's made us. And the key is to be filled with the Spirit, of course. The goal is to always be a filled, what, cup, right? And what your cup is able to do has, has to do with how God made you. Now let me illustrate this with an article years ago from uh, the Springfield, Oregon Public Schools newsletter, right? I'm sure that this isn't circulating around on the internet a, a whole lot, their, their newsletter. Um, but this was a, a, way, a time back, and I, I think a good almost maybe 20, 25 or 30 years ago. Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. The duck was excellent at swimming. In fact, better than his instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor at running. Since he was slow at running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his web feet to be badly worn, so that he was only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that, except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of, you know, so much makeup work in the swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. You know, he developed charley horses from overexertion, so he only got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but instead, uh, ins ins but he insisted on using his weight his own way to get there. Charles Wendell, commenting on that story, said this, A duck is a duck and only a duck. It is built to swim, not to run or fly, and certainly not to climb. A squirrel is a squirrel and only that. To move it out from its forte, climbing, and then expect it to swim or fly will drive a squirrel nuts. Eagles are beautiful creatures in the air, but not in a foot race. The rabbit will win every time, unless, of course, the eagle gets hungry. 
What is true of creatures in the forest is true of Christians in the family. Both the family of believers and the family under your roof. God has not made us all the same. He never intended to. It was he who planned and designed the differences, unique capabilities, and variations, end quote. Yeah, that says it. That says it. The measure of faith. That gift is, it's just, it's, you know, probably the best thing you can do and say, what, what is my gift? I can't tell you yours, and I honestly can't even tell you exactly mine in terms of, you know, breaking it down. Well, it's a 5% this, and I think it's, you know, 15% this other deal. And the best thing I could call it is Mike Rosario. That's what it is. I, I don't know outside of that. It has stuff in it. I mean, it's, there's a bit of this and a bit of that. I can see some strengths here. And I can see some other things that, ooh, that's, I probably am not gifted at that, you know. But praise the Lord, there are other people that are, you know. Those of you that have helped me fix my home have know exactly the kind of the area that those that I'm, that I'm not gifted at are. But you know, you first offer yourself to God. The whole you, your body, your mind, your will, and then you offer a humble attitude, a right view of you. And that leads to the second thing our usefulness in this church is based on. Secondly, the right chemistry. The right chemistry. And this is verses 4 through 6a. For just as we have had many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, we'll stop there. God He's fit us together. And it's similar to that, that uh, story there in the Oregon newsletter. We're all so different that way. But notice how we have many members in what? In one body. Now this is, a, this is an analogy of a, the human body. You know, this is picturing the many members being like fingers and arms, feet, toes, all that. The church is called a, a body like a human body. And just like a human body, you have members and, and they don't have the same function. And that's the way it is in the church. Lots of parts. But they're all related. And that's the point he's trying to get. In other words, there's a connection here. Don't miss the fact that we're connected to one another. Don't miss the fact that our connection to one another has a functional connection. In other words, the organic connection basically tells us that they were, there will be a functional connection. Say it a different way. You can't hurt your fing finger without having uh, some repercussions maybe in the mind or even in the rest of your body. Your body will overcompensate to take care of that hurt finger, won't it? There's a great effect that one has on all the other. They all work together. There's no room for independence. All, all, it's all dependence. It's all leading on one another. It's all being uh, connected to one another. And I think the longer we stay away from one another, it's not just ourselves that we're hurting. It's one of the most selfish acts that we could do in the church. You're hurting others. So we have to, we have to be connected in fact, you can't really just rip your finger off. I, I suppose you could, but that wouldn't be a good idea, right? You know that. And if that finger isn't functioning like that finger needs to function, it will give a lot of uh, effect in a bad way, consequential effect to the rest of the body. When he says we're individually members of one another, he's making, as I said, an organic point. This is something that God has created. He has put together. You, you'll see that if you read 1 Corinthians 12. It's not our organization. It's, it's living. It's life sharing. 
And so really what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts is we're talking about life sharing. We're talking about sharing a life with others and what that looks like. And I just think that the unbelievers don't get that. I mean, they see people, and I tell you what, I've seen it, where you have family members, and one particular family member becomes a believer, and the other family members get so jealous, and so they, they struggle so much because they see the closeness that you have with other believers, and they're not getting that. And they get so upset about that. But here's the deal. It's not like you're saying, well, I just like them better than you now. You're kind of, you know, yesterday. And, well, but I'm blood. So no, 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 no. It's not that at all. If God has connected us literally together, you can't not be together, right? You have to be. You have to share your life with that other person. You have to. You're going against you if you do. So it's, it's critical. Now you see that word, take a look there in that verse. Verse 4, the end of verse 4, you see that word function. We all have a function, and that function is different for each one. How? Why? Look at verse 6. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Now that word gifts is the, is the word charismata. It's a word that literally means grace. It's from the word charis, which means grace gifts. That's how you'd literally translate it. God plants in you, in other words, the measure of faith, the measure of the Spirit, to do just what He wants done in this church. And that's what He's saying here. And you know what that tells me also? These gifts have sovereign intent. These gifts come with, with, with sovereign um, intent and aim and, and, a, and almost like a heat-seeking missile, right? They come in you and, and, and the Lord saves you and He presses go and, and they're supposed to just go where, the, where it where they're targeted at. Let me say it a different way. Your gifts are not, for that reason, your gifts are not for you. They are for the church. My gifts are for the church. They're not for me. They're not for me. This is part of the reason why I don't have too much of a trouble when somebody says, hey, uh, can you teach me? Sure. Can, can we meet and you can, you can teach me something? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Why? It's not for me. It's not, this is not for me. Right? It's, I say I don't have a trouble, but walking in the flesh, there, 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 would, be, there would be a trouble with that. But when we walk in the Spirit, boy, your gift is for, is, is, is for the rest to be, to be used, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, by the way. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good, in other words, for the good of others. You got it for others. You have, you have that gift like a, like a donation given to you by the Spirit for others, that grace gift. And maybe that's why in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 12, Paul says, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. In other words, use that gift to build another person up. That's why you have it. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Be passionate about that. And once you understand that God is doing something here, beloved, once you get that, that this is his creation, that this here is his doing, that this here is his movement, that this here is his church and his gifts, and you're just a channel for that, once you get that, then you can let go of yourself and just be you, see? Just let it go. Just be used. Not a big deal. You're not always, you know, looking at that watch because, all right, you got 15 and then it's me time, all right? It's just always out because it's not about you anymore. And it's not even about just, you know, the partial you. The you that, you know, it's, uh, you know, a little sliver. Oh, I'm not saying these things. I haven't made this up. This is the Lord and how, how he's made the church. 
And this is why Luke 14, it's very important. You share the gospel with somebody, you make sure that they understand. Consider the cost. Consider what it is going to mean in coming to Christ. Because literally, he meant what he said when he said, it's going to be the death to you. But oh, the life, right? I ask you, have you been blessed by somebody else's gifts? I have. Thankful. This is God's chemistry. He's put it together. This is no accident. This, this very church. So what's it look like in motion? Well, let's look at the third point here then. The right contribution. Starting in verse 6. Starting in verse 6. Now let's look at where he says, if prophecy. He says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. Stop there. We're just going to kind of work our way through those and see how far we get. Now each gift has a contribution, beloved, a service. Each gift is not meant, again, to just be self-serving and just kind of hovered and hoarded. and It's not even meant to just be for your biological family. That gift is meant to be used in any capacity that the Lord calls. To contribute. In the New Testament, there are three types of contributions, three areas that all spiritual gifts work in. And I'll give them to you, and then we'll, maybe we'll look at uh, this a little, little deeper here and see where we go. Three areas, really, you can look at the gifts when you look at the New Testament. There are sign gifts, there were speaking gifts, and there were serving gifts. And those sign gifts were for the apostolic time. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts are the two gifts that the Lord is using now that the, the Bible has been written, now that the canon is, is finished. Now sign gifts were special to the time of the apostles. What, what the sign gift did is it pointed to their ministry and authenticated it or, or, or it confirmed it as a as being real. As them being real. In other words, what it basically said, their sign gifts was, listen to me. Okay? Listen to me. I want you to pay attention. In fact, if you go back in, uh, I think it's Acts 3, remember there where Peter heals, uh, Peter and John were there, and they healed the lame guy? And then, I love what he says, he stands up and he says, listen to me. In other words, this healing was for this message. This healing was so that I could, as an apostle, tell you something. See, The healing wasn't the end deal. That was just an attention getter. Now the guy that was healed obviously appreciated that. It was good. But it was an attention getter. Hear this. Listen to me. I've got something to say. Now that I've got your attention. Now that you're here and you understand this is the power of God, hear the Lord, right? Now they confirm their ministry, and I can show you this here. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, for example. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. By signs and wonders and miracles. Now there it is. And so miracles, and, and you might you can include into a list like that, tongues and healing and stuff like that. These were all the signs of a true apostle. So how do I know that guy was a, a true apostle? And by the way, they were struggling here in this church because there were many that were trying to say, now Paul, ah, he's not real. He's not a true apostle. We are the they were false apostles during that time. And Paul, so Paul was having to say, well, we're, I'm, I, gotta, I can tell you what a true apostle is, what you can look for. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse uh, 3 and 4, it says, After it was at first spoken through the Lord, that is the message about salvation, it was confirmed to us, that message, by those who heard, who would that be? The apostles. Listen to this. God also testifying with them, both by signs 
and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In other words, he used those sign gifts, miracles and all that stuff, to testify and confirm the message of the Lord, the gospel. Mark 16.20, just another little passage here, another helpful one to understand about apostles and such. It says, and they went out, that is the, the disciples here, the apostles, and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word, listen to this, by the signs that followed. Very clear, right? Very clear. 1 Corinthians 12, we see also some really important things said there. And there he speaks a lot about these uh, ministries, the miracles and healing ministries and, and such, and people that had gifts for that. And so you had these people that had these signed gifts. Now, let me help you out with something, because there might be some that are saying, now oh, wait a minute here. You said there are three, there are three groupings of gifts how can, it, how can it be that we say, say that there's the two get, you know, groupings, but we don't have this third one? Right? And you'll hear people today that will talk about having a gift of healing and having the gift of tongues and all that stuff. Well, let me see if I can help you very briefly by showing you the difference between 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, where the gifts, all those gifts were mentioned was a time period where the people were really abusing, and particularly the, the, uh, the, the, the more uh, supernatural type gifts. Okay? And in particular, the, gifts, the, the gift of tongues. And they were abusing it by, by basically saying, this is more important than this gift here. Right? These gifts are really important. They're kind of the superstar gifts. If you have these, you're really somebody, you're really something... All you lesser people, I'm sorry, you know, but these are, the, these are the biggies here, okay? And so they were really magnifying and elevating and doing everything that here in Romans 12 Paul said not to do. But what I want you to understand is that where in 1 Corinthians 12 he gives a list of spiritual gifts, and here in Romans 12 he gives a list of seven. The list, you'll notice, are different. You'll notice, for example, in Romans 12, that there's no mention of healing. See it? It's not in there, is it? There's no mention of uh, tongues. There's not a mention of a, of, of, of a lot of gifts that were the supernatural type gifts. Any of them, really. And I'll get to prophecy in a moment. When 1 Corinthians 12 was written, it was written in 54 AD. 54, 55 AD, right, right around that time. Romans was written right around 58. And so what happened is in four years, things developed. Things began to kind of, you know, you, you had a lot of, uh, of, of New Testament revelation being circulated. These letters, they were being circulated. And the church was being founded and the church was being established. Why are the sign gifts not mentioned in Romans? Because they're not needed. Because the sign gifts passed away with the apostles. Because clearly they were shadowing something that was coming that was going to be more of a stability, more of a exactly what the Lord wanted. Now let me show you it another way. If you look at the other lists of spiritual gifts, you'll notice that none of them mention the supernatural gifts either. The one in Ephesians, written in, in 60... Ephesians written in 60, 61, 62. 1 okay. Peter written probably around 66. None of them mention those supernatural gifts. Why? Because they were not being used or needed for the establishment and build, building up of the church. Now, having said that, listen to what Peter had to say in 1 Peter 4. Because I think this is really massively relevant. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. 
as each one has received a special gift, a spiritual gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one speaking, and whoever serves is to do so as, as the one who is serving. Now, whoa. He sets it up right there. He says, you've received your gift. Use your gift. Use it, use it. Which one? Well, whoever has a speaking gift, use that one. Whoever has a serving gift, use that. And by the way, he doesn't mention a sign gift here. So in his thinking, spiritual gifts were either speaking gifts or serving gifts. Get that? So that's what they were. That's what they became. Now what this means for us is the list of seven that Paul gives in Romans 12, 6 through 8 can be broken down then into those two categories, right? Speaking or serving. So let's see what we can understand here. In fact, let me break them down for you. He, the prophecy, the teaching, and the exhortation gifts are speaking gifts. The service, the giving, the showing mercy, and leading are, serv are, are serving gifts. The other ones are speaking gifts. These are serving gifts. By the way, I need to say this also. This list is not exhaustive. He's not trying to cover every gift that there are. That's why I put in your notes there, general. These are general gifts. You can pretty much, you can use these for the most part as some pretty good categories. But again, it's not going to do any good, I think, to say, to try and narrow you know, your spiritual gift down to this just one little micron. I have the gift of mercy, and that's all I have, and that's just what it is. Like I said, it might be a 58% mercy and a 30% of something else or whatever. And you'll not really know what, how those break down like that. But, but that's kind of how that works. None of them of the list, by the way, are exhaustive. That's not the point of giving the lists. These are general guidelines, general gifts, but all the gifts sort of touch each one of these. All right. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul deals with the spiritual gifts there, he was trying to correct a problem. It's not the same in Romans 12. In Romans 12, it's more of an exhortation. Paul's point isn't to say, here are all the gifts. What's his point? It's this. It's, it's this. If you have this gift, then you are to what? Use it. In other words, he says, get on with it. Get on with it. If you've got this gift, get on with using it. See? All right. Let's take a look at the first one that Paul presents here. Prophecy. Prophecy. Now, what is this? Lots of different thoughts about this. This uh, from people. Uh, many see it as an ability that is gone, an ability to speak out new revelation. Kind of, an, you get immediate revelation and you speak it out. Okay, that's one way of looking at prophecy. And uh, and by the way, I believe that prophecy is that, but it's more than that. Others see it as speaking for God at the moment. Like it just comes upon you and you say it and you foretell maybe some future event that's, that's to happen and you call it prophecy, right? But I want you to understand, beloved, prophecy does include those two things, but it's more than that. When you look at the scriptures, it's larger than that. And so you need to understand the largeness of it so you can get what it is that he's saying here. It's the uh, spiritual gift... Let me just say it, and then I'll, hopefully I can prove it. It's the spiritual gift, basically, of preaching. Prophecy is here. The spiritual gift of preaching. You say, are you sure? I mean, are you sure it hasn't ceased? Well, here's what's important. Again, None of these gifts are the apostolic ones from 2 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. So this one must be different than those. Now let's let Scripture interpret this by starting in 1 Corinthians 14. So if you want to go there, and we'll start in verse 1. There in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he starts in verse 1 by saying, uh, Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now, he's talking to a church here. He doesn't mean for you personally to, to desire personally to have more gifts. You, you have what you have. 
and it's not going to get more or less. You should desire that then, what's he saying here? Well, he's talking to the whole church here. He, he, so what he's saying is desire that this church would be filled with people and their spiritual gifts. Obedient people that are obedient to the Spirit, offering themselves to God to be used. Now watch this. Look at what else he says. But especially that you may, what? Prophesy. You should desire to even pray that God would bring all kinds of spiritual gifts into this church. So that again, this would be thriving with people that are just serving the Lord and using their giftedness that way. But especially if you're going to pray for something, if you're going to desire something, desire that people would come here with the gift of, prof to, of prophecy. So what's that? To preach. God would just gift people, would bring the, the, gift, of, the gift of preachers. Real uh, fascinating uh, uh, statement there. So why does he make this statement? Why does he say this? Well, you've got to think about what prophecy means. It's a fascinating word to prophesy. The, in the classics, that word to prophesy was used this way, to be an interpreter of the gods. That was the idea of, of prophesy. One who speaks for a god and interprets his will. And it, and it means, and it came to mean this, basically to publicly speak. To speak publicly before for a group. Public speaking, if you will. Speaking before people. Public speaking that way. It's the gift then of publicly speaking before God's people. The gift of, of, of public speaking before. And it, and it doesn't, by the way, it doesn't have to be uh, in a church. Right? And also, uh, it can be to unbelievers, but the whole idea of speaking publicly before unbelievers is to make them what? Believers, right? Now you can understand why I said it's, it's much larger than just immediate revelation from God and foretelling some future event because it's the idea of publicly telling somebody something about God, for God, all right, well, let's let, again, the, let's, let, let's let Scripture shape this thing here. Look at verse 3 there of 1 Corinthians 14. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation or, or, or comfort, you can say. So it's a gift where a person speaks to men. Notice that. Literally speaks before men. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks as one who is speaking the utterances of God speaking before men what God says, right? So this is basically, Paul basically there is giving you a definition of what this looks like. Now it reminds me of Moses. We can kind of clarify this a little bit more. There's a great picture of this very thing in the Old Testament. Remember Moses and when God called him to go down to Egypt? Do you remember what happened there? And he called me down to Egypt. He said, all right, I'm going to make you my servant. You're going to go there, and you're going to tell Pharaoh a thing or two, and you're going to let him know what's going on, right? And let him know that I, I came to get my people. And after I've got my people, they're going to worship me. And that's that. Tell them that. And uh, Moses says, remember what he said? Oh, you got the wrong guy. That's not my gift. Right? You remember what the Lord's response was to him? Exodus 7.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your, what? Prophet. He's going to be a prophet. What's that mean? Well, it, it means he's going to speak for Moses to Pharaoh. There you get that insight. I mean, the Lord meant that, that, that Aaron would speak before the people and all that, all that Moses told him, and he was to make sure that he didn't change a single word. He was going to stand before and speak on behalf of another. See. Similar thing found in 1 Corinthians 25, 2 and 3, and there are other passages and so forth. I think the one in Numbers. Real insightful passage in Matthew 7. Remember when Jesus was saying that many will say, Lord, Lord, to him? One of the things that they will say is this. Did we not prophesy your name? Listen, maybe you've never thought of it this way. And what that means is this. 
Didn't we preach? And when we spoke to the people about you, we were your public speakers. And the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Isn't that amazing? The Lord is going to tell those who stood in the pulpit, you weren't really my speakers. I think we live in a day and time where there are a lot of, a lot of those. Back to 1 Corinthians 14.3, a great insight into what this gift is aiming to do. It's aiming to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. Did you notice that? Those three things in 1 Corinthians 14.3. Build people up, challenge people to live spiritual, obedient lives, and encourage them along the way. Doesn't that sound like good preaching? Yeah, I'd like to hear that. What, what do they preach? Second, Second Timothy 4.2. Preach the the word, right? And like Second Peter 1.19 says, that preaching is like a light shining in a dark place. That's what prophecy is, beloved. John MacArthur says it this way. The gift itself is the gift of being able to preach the word of God, to make it relevant to a contemporary situation, to confront a society. End quote. That makes sense to me. Because if the society is ruled by, is the world, and the world ruled by the devil, then it needs to be confronted, doesn't it? With the truth. Now let's see one more thing about prophecy from Romans 12.6. And this will be the last thing we're going we're gonna to hit on here this morning. We didn't get very far. <laughs> That's all right. Let's, listen, this is really going to be, this is going to tie some things together here about prophecy. Romans 12.6. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Two ways of looking at that. And you can look at this objectively and subjectively. Uh, you know, he's saying when you preach, you are to do it according to the proportion, to the amount, literally, of the faith. Or the faith that he's been given. Now, if Paul means the proportion of the faith, objectively, then what he's talking about is what Jude wrote about when he said the once for all delivered to the saints faith. Remember that? In other words, he says, when you preach, make sure you're one who preaches according to the word. It needs to be by the book. Preach the word. See, that's basically what he's saying if that's, if that's how he's looking at it. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? Make sure, the one who preaches the word needs to make sure that he's consistent with the scriptures. So that's the objective way of looking at it. Here's a subjective way of looking at it. It would be the proportion of his own faith. Personal faith. What's that mean? Well, if you combine it with verse 3, remember what he said in verse 3, the measure of faith? And what you get is this. Here's the idea. Preach according to the faith the Lord has given you. In other words, be faithful to the preaching gift the Lord has given you. Be faithful to the measure that he's given you. And you know he's made preachers different. And no two preachers are the same. And they kind of have different strengths and they kind of emphasize different things. But what he says is, you know, to me, Mike Rosario, don't be Chuck Swindoll. Don't be John MacArthur. Don't be all these other guys. You be you. You be the preacher that I have made you to be. And don't think to yourself, boy, I just, I'm not, I just fall short of this other guy over here. It, you need to be, you need to use the gift that I've given you. The way I've given it to you. Now, I want to end here in this passage here. How does this work in the context of a church? I want to show you this here. And I think we're going to end here. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 to see this. Start in verse 16. Now this is an amazing train. Great stuff here. Paul says to this church, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay. You got joy, you got prayer, you got giving of thanks, right? Simple response to God. 
I mean, that, that's a great spiritual life, isn't it? Joy, prayer, thankfulness. But watch this, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, uh, you, you, you quench the Spirit, and there's no joy, and there's no prayer, and there's no thankfulness, right? Pretty simple. Don't quench the Spirit. Why? Because if you quench the Spirit, you're not going to have those other things. It's, oh, I live such a... I have struggled with having joy in my life. Well, maybe you're quenching the Spirit. Maybe that's, what's, maybe that's the whole deal there. Boy, I just... You're not a real thankful person. My prayer life is so... It, it, my prayer life is so lacking. Maybe you're quenching the Spirit. Now, how, how might a person quench the Spirit? Verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances. What's that? Prophecy. Public preaching. Again, you come to church, you despise the preaching. What are you doing? You're quenching the Spirit. Why is that important? No joy, no prayer, no thankfulness. You're eliminating all of these things for yourself. In verse 21, but examine everything carefully. That's how you're supposed to receive the public preaching. Examine, real fascinating word. It means to test, really. You test it. You question it to understand it. Is that true? And if it is, I have to believe it. Then this, hold fast to that which is good, see. I like that. But if, ooh, when, it, when you understand it, and when you believe it, if you can believe it, what should you do? Hold fast to it. You strain out those things which you go, yeah, I don't know about that, I don't know about that. But that right there, hmm, there it is. Got it. Putting my arms around it. That's good. I'm swallowing that. I'm taking that in. And finally, look at where it will lead you. Verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. You won't know the forms of evil to abstain unless you receive the public preaching, the preaching of the word. You see how important this becomes? This is huge. Huge. Now, I love this. I realize I don't think we're going to, and we're not going to get to the other gifts, but this is very important. First Thessalonians 5 tells us to test the preaching, to examine it, literally to test it. So what, what are we testing it for? Personal satisfaction? You know, are you going to give it the stamp of approval? You testing it for in a you know an emotional movement? Are you testing it for public approval? Listen to me carefully, and here's what we're going to end on. You're testing it. You test public preaching for two things and two things only. Listen. First, does it square with biblical teaching? Right. By that I mean doctrine, the biblical teaching. Does it square with what the Bible says? Can you say, the Bible teaches that? I'll never forget being at a place and preaching and a guy coming up to me and telling me, you know, there are a lot of people that are upset with your preaching. I said, really? I'm thinking to myself, man, he's going to let me have it. And he said, I got to tell you, I'm one of them. I used to be. I said, really? Yeah. He said, and then, then I started going home and looking up everything you said. And I came to the conclusion... This man preaches the truth. Therefore, I got a problem. See? That's how it should work. That's how it should work. The man was open. The man received it. And at first, he was doing it more for public approval, wasn't he? But then, wait a minute. What does he, what is he really saying? Does it jive with the scripture? All right, so that's the first reason why you test it. Second, here's the second thing you're looking for when you test it. Revelation 19.10. Listen to this verse. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's that mean? Listen. It means that the spirit of prophecy, the essence of prophecy, the heart of prophecy, is to testify of Jesus Christ. The second test of public preaching, did it exalt Christ? Did the preaching lift up Jesus? Did it really exalt Christ and make him magnificent and precious and great? Two tests. 
Was it a biblical sermon? And did it exalt Christ? So Paul's point here in Romans 12 is this. If you have this gift, you have to be out there using it. God's placed you right there in the body. He's given you that gift, not for your pleasure, but for the pleasure of the church, for their blessing, and you've got to let that thing be unleashed, don't you? And you know, beloved, we can sometimes get so fixed on what this gift looks like. It doesn't have to be a pulpit. The gift of prophecy doesn't have to be a pulpit. But you know what it does have to be? For his glory. Get on with using it. If you have this gift, get on with using it. There's a certain amount of passion I imagine this gift comes with. It's, it's the passion to preach the word, to, to get it out there, to make it public, to say it. And you don't have to be knighted for this deal here, okay? You don't have to have, to come up before, you know, all right, get out there, do, do what you got to do. Look, just proclaim. Now, let me end with these two quotes here. One, was by, one is by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says this. I would say without hesitation that the most urgent need of the Christian church is true preaching. And as it is the greatest and the most urgent need in the church, it is obviously the greatest need of the world also. End quote. Yeah. What an important gift. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul just flat out told them, you guys are getting all hung up over tongues. Let me tell you something. Biblical preaching is way more important than, than tongues. That's what he said there. Stop getting so hung up over it, he says. Robert Murray McShane, I think, kind of says it like it is. A holy minister, a holy preacher, is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And that brings us back to Romans 12.1. If you have this gift, you must offer your body a living, holy sacrifice to God to be used by Him for His glory. And when you offer Him that way, and you come as a holy vessel, you use the gift that the Lord has given you, and in this case, the gift to, be, to, to preach, to, to publicly speak and proclaim Christ. Oh, you're an awful weapon in the hand of God. You can expect that people will have their conscience pricked and hearts will be convicted. They might not come to Christ, but some will. And blessed be the Lord. And people will understand and will have direction in their life. And it will be good. And God will grow his body. Well, there are six more of them for us to cover. I don't think we're going to go one a week, okay? So this is just one that just kind of needed some extra oomph. But uh, we will get back to the others uh, next week. Yeah, I, I was really planning on getting through verse 7, as, as you can see in your notes. But uh, this was good enough, so let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us these gifts, Lord. And our Father, we confess we don't understand all these nuances. We don't get it all. But we know what your scripture says, Lord. Help us to believe it, Father. Forgive us for fighting against what you say. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would unleash all these gifts here in the body of Christ in such a way, Lord, that people could see the Lord Jesus. And that they would be led to exalt Christ. We thank you, dear Father, for giving us these. And we pray that we would be a church obedient to you, Lord. Following after your steps. Doing what you want us to do. Committed, dear Lord, to offering ourselves to you this way. Having a humble attitude about it all. So that we can be used this way, Lord. We understand, Father, that the church is... is, is your, it's your doing. You're putting together, Lord. We are not here by accident. And so, as we pray for this, Lord, we know it will put us in a fearful place, Lord, but we want to be there. And we pray for the, the ministry when we get there. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.